Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Peter chapter 1, the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, remember in our when we closed up 1 Peter, now we're in 2 Peter, we're, the, the, the gap between the two books or the two letters is about three years. And if 64 AD, where the cost of being a Christian was very high, now we're at 67 AD, where it's ultra high ultra dangerous, very life-threatening to be a Christian in 67 AD when Brother Peter is writing this beautiful letter in exhortation to the saints. And this is also at a time where, you know, both Peter and Paul, they are just about at the end of the road for them. Historically speaking, Paul, he has, uh, he's beheaded. And Peter, historically speaking, what happens is that, you know, he was uh, crucified, but he he didn't want to be crucified. He didn't count himself as worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So he wanted to be crucified upside down. And so historically speaking, he was crucified upside down. And in this era, 67 AD, in this particular time period, these titans of the faith, shepherds in the faith and of the faith, they're just at about at the end of the road. And the exhortation for the next generation, and not just the next generation of, uh, of righteousness, but preparation for the next generation of leadership as well, where we see when in Paul's letters, the pastoral epistles, he mobilizes the shepherds, you see? The full package shepherds, very important to understand, you know, shepherds, because the, the, the title of pastor the title of elder, it gets tossed around too loosely. The Bible indicates what are the qualifications for a shepherd according to the word of God, what the Lord considers a shepherd, what Jesus Christ, son of the most high, considers to be a shepherd. And he teaches us these things in his word. So this isn't run of the mill shepherd. And when, when, when Paul mobilizes the shepherds, when Peter, this exhortation to saints and also a mobilizing of shepherds, things that we're going to look at later on in our study today. We're speaking of the full package shepherds. And so we begin our study in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, bondservanthood and apostleship is something that we've we've studied exhaustively on. And I, 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 this isn't mentioned as a reluctance to teach, but it is said as encouragement to learn. Go and listen to our prior studies. Listen to our prior studies from 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up all the way to 2 Peter. Very important. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Welcome. We have these resources for you so you can grow and you can learn and you can mature in Christ. Go back and listen to our studies. 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up all the way to 2 Peter. And in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. This is beautiful. Like precious faith. Now, understand, this is, uh, this is speaking about faith, but at the same time, it's not any faith. It's, it's this like precious faith. It's faith that is of equal value and equal honor. That's how it translates in the Greek. Equal value and equal honor than that of Peter and those with him. Very important to understand. Because, you know, we always like to reflect on the church in Corinth. 
and not just the church in Corinth, but also the church in Galatia. And yes, they had major problems. One was of the flesh being Corinth and one was of doctrine. That's Galatia. And major error in both. And it's so p- powerful to consider how in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, Paul, when he writes this letter, he's addressing saints. He never discredits or nullifies sainthood because he doesn't have that authority. Only Jesus does. But at the same time, when we look at faith, is faith just a blanket statement? Because, you know, when Brother James speaks about belief, he says, okay, even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. You see? But do the demons obey? The answer is no, they do not obey the Lord. So belief is a beautiful thing, but when we look at belief, understand, remember what what, what we studied in the book of James, where Brother James, he teaches us about the package deal? It's not just faith alone. Faith is a package deal. And if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of James and you'll understand all about the package deal. And when Peter, when he says this, this like precious faith, understand this is 67 AD. And he's speaking about you know, the, the, this, this, you know, how we speak, if you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, remember how we spoke of the bubble of Paul and how was, there was the, the bubble, the, the larger bubble, which encompassed the, uh, uh, the saints, but then there was the tiny bubble where the next generation of leadership was. Well, Peter has a bubble too. You see? And when he speaks of this like precious faith, and how it translates in the Greek, it's an, uh, a faith that has equal value and equal honor. You see? And it's something so beautiful throughout the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. It's so beautiful. Among a special people. Among a remnant in their time. It's a refusal to align with the status quo. It's a refusal to align with what is deemed to be normal and acceptable among the people. I mean, do you, you know, how often do you hear us mention in the Old Testament, you know, when, when all Israel was defined, defiled, when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? Who wasn't? I mean, remember Moses and Joshua when they come down the mountain and all Israel is defiled with the golden calf, except for Moses and Joshua. But then you continue reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and you see more defiling. But then you see who wasn't? Phineas. You continue to read and you see even more defiling. And you see among a people that do not know the Lord, who is it that acknowledged the Lord? Rahab. Remember our study through the book of Joshua? Rahab. And then you get the judges when the Lord becomes forgotten. Who didn't forget the Lord? Ehud, Deborah, Samson's mama and papa. Remember? This isn't judges when the Lord became forgotten. And if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, very important. And through these Periods of times, in in these eras of time, when the Lord becomes forgotten, you see a special people who do not forget the Lord. And here in 67 AD, 
when Peter is writing this letter, 67 AD, remember, believers, believers have left and are leaving. When Paul in this same era, in this same generation, Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy and reveals to Timothy saying, all the saints in Asia have left me. He says, Demas has left me. Remember, Demas, he was seduced by the bright lights in big city. And so you have this, you know, this people who are leaving Paul, people who are leaving Peter, people who are leaving sound doctrine. But remember, leaven isn't the barometer. Disobedience isn't the standard. You see, in the Old Testament, you know, where, you know, Joshua says, look, you know, as you know, choose, you choose, choose for yourself who you shall follow. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Where you look at two leaders in the era of Moses and you see Moses and Korah. Moses and Korah. Well, who who is the one to follow? Korah is a leader. Moses is a leader. But is leadership, is it just like, you know, run of the mill? Okay, this guy's a leader. This guy's a leader. Is it run of the mill? No. When we understand formula, we know, okay, I'm with Moses. I'm with Joshua. When a majority wants to align with Korah, that's nice. I'm with Moses. You see? When a majority wants to align with Alexander and Jimenez, that's nice. I'm with Paul and Peter. Remember Barak and Deborah? And with Barak and Deborah, Barak says, you know, hey, I know it's time for war, but I'm not going to war without you. I love that so much. Barak tells it straight up says to Deborah, female. I'm not going to war without you. And for my sisters in Christ, don't you dare think that you cannot engage in warfare and combat because you absolutely can and you absolutely do. And uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's spiritual warfare. You see, very important to understand the covenants. Rules of engagement according to the covenants. And this is absolutely a beautiful thing, and we can absolutely rejoice. But there's something we need to understand at the same time. Don't expect not to have opposition. And it sounds weird to hear that. I mean, we mentioned spiritual warfare, and you think, of course, we're going to have opposition. But what about when opposition grows strong and fierce? You see, I mean, according to the flesh, I could tell you stories of seemingly tough men who retreated from combat, seemingly tough men who backed out of a fight and a remnant that didn't. But we see that according to the spirit as well in the word of God. And we see it still today. You see, and, you know, don't forget when Peter writes this letter in 2 Peter, we're in 67 AD. Being a Christian in 35 AD has its share of opposition. Yes, um, we, we can't nullify that. Being a Christian in 35 AD does have opposition. 50 AD, yes, 
It cannot be nullified or dismissed. Yes, a share of opposition. 64 AD, when people began to flee, you see. And as saints flee in the diaspora, what we mentioned in our study in 1 Peter in 64 AD, do you think Satan is going to do nothing? Saints were leaving in the diaspora. And people were also falling away from the faith. 67 AD, opposition has intensified. And yet, who will stay? Who will stay the course? Who will stay the course? Who will continue to walk on the narrow path? You see? It's one thing to engage in warfare. And that's why we say, you know, don't expect not to have opposition. And I know it sounds crazy. It's like, what? He's talking about warfare? And he's, then he says, you know, don't expect not to have opposition. Well, you know, what's warfare if there's not opposition? Well, opposition will intensify. You see? And when you read the prophecies in the last days, it will be given to Satan to prevail against the saints. See, there's a level of opposition today. But the opposition, it's going to be more intense in each year, incrementally each year. I mean, you might be listening in a region where you're like, you know, forget next year. It's now. I want you to know if you're in an area of heavy persecution and I know we do have listeners in areas where the cost of being a Christian is deadly. I want you to know that we pray for you. We pray hard for you. And we love you. And that's part of the tribulation of this time. We're in this world, but we're not of the world. I want you to know that we love you. I love you. You're in an area of hardcore persecution. I mean, even if you're not in an area of hardcore persecution, you know, we still pray for you and we love you. But we are one body with many parts. There's Christians of all shapes and sizes and colors all throughout the world. And we're at a time where things are going to incrementally get worse. So much so that according to prophecy, Satan, he's going to prevail against the saints. It will be given to him to prevail against the saints. The fight that we're in today is not going to be like the fight that we're in next year or the following year or the following year or the following year. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You see, it's going to intensify. And what's so powerful, when Peter writes in verse 1, when he says to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, we remember the weapons of our warfare. And not just the weapons, we remember the, 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 the manner in which we fight according to the new covenant, not the old covenant. How many times in our study in the Old Testament do you remember us saying, you know, observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh. You and me, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. 
We don't fight according to the flesh. It's not to say we don't fight because we absolutely fight. But it's according to the Spirit. And so when Peter says to those who have obtained like precious faith, we see by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's something so beautiful about growing and maturing in Christ. You know, the, the work that the Lord does in you. And it's supernatural. Supernatural. It cannot be manufactured. It cannot be coerced. And in times of plenty, when things are seemingly fine and dandy, people can fake it. And they do fake it. But in times of tribulation, in times of trouble, in times of trying, in times of peril, you know what happens? Those people get exposed. They get exposed for what they are. Because it's not genuine. They've been faking it. The only time the valiant warrior is revealed, it's in time of war. In peacetime, not just a regular guy, regular gal, nothing special. It seems that way in times of peace. But when it's time to fight, and time to engage, that's when the valiant warrior is revealed. Whoa. He's not backing down. She's not backing down. And these are things that will be exposed as we get deeper into the events of the last days. The remnant that we see in 1 Peter, three years ago from 67 AD, where we are in 2 Peter, that remnant was special, very special. But in 2 Peter, how much more special, how much more radiant as they endure the times? You see? And in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but it is a gift. And Peter, speaking of this, you grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, this isn't life and a pep talk. This isn't life and motivational speaking. This isn't life with a therapy session. This isn't life with, you know, prescription drugs that you fill at a pharmacy. This isn't life with drugs that you get on the street corner. This isn't life with help that can be found from the bottle. No, 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 no. No. And it's so beautiful because we see in verse 3. By his divine power. What's been given to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Godliness. This cannot be faked. People try to fake it and people do fake it. Today, the Berean can see, whoa, that guy's fake. Oh, that lady's fake. But the person who's not a Berean, they don't understand. And as we get further into the events of the last days, the charlatan will be exposed. 
and the valiant warrior will also be exposed. Such is the case in 67 AD. And the Lord has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They've been given to us. How does that happen? How is it that they're given to us? Well, we continue. Through the knowledge of him who called us. Through the knowledge of him who called us by. Now, in the Greek, it's more through, you know, through glory and virtue. Or by glory and virtue. Or through glory and virtue. You know, sometimes, you know, when it comes to doctrine. Sometimes it was, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're too hardcore. You're too much of a hardliner. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. When a pastor wants to go grave soaking. This was Paul's phobia. You know, when Paul speaks to the saints in Corinth about his phobia, his fear. His fear wasn't of the charlatan. His fear wasn't of the false teacher. His fear wasn't of, you know, the servant of Satan. No, that wasn't his fear. Paul says, my fear is you, Christians. He says, my fear is you that when, the, not if, when these guys come, the servant of Satan with another gospel, another spirit, and another Jesus. Paul says, that's my phobia, that you're going to put up with it. So there's a pastor who wants to go grave soaking. Multiple pastors, a church movement. They want to go grave soaking. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what is he talking grave soaking? What is that? Well, what it is, is that you have pastors who say, hey, let's go to the cemetery. And we're going to go to these grave sites where there's dead Christians, Christians who have passed away. And these were Christians that were full of the spirit. And let's go to their grave site and we'll go, you know, find out where their lot of land is, their little plot. And we're going to lay on that ground. And the purpose behind it is to soak up the Holy Spirit. That's necromancy. That's an abomination. And yet you have pastors who say, hey, let's go grave soak. They have youth groups. Hey, everybody, all the kids get in the bus. We're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to go lay on the graves and we're going to soak up the spirit that's in these dead people. The spirit of the Lord is with the living. The spirit of the dead? That's not the Holy Spirit. And yet you have parents. Hey, you know, yeah, kids, my, my, my teenage kid. Oh, my little child, you know, I send him to the youth group, send her to the youth group and... No big deal. They want to do this necromancy. They want to do this abomination that's in the eyes of the Lord. Eh, no big deal. The pastor says it's okay. Youth leader says it's okay. Listen, it's not okay. So a pastor wants to go grave soaking. How can there be life and godliness? What the Bible says about life and godliness. When a pastor wants to go grave soaking, how can there be life and godliness? There is life and a spirituality. But it's not life and godliness. Oh, but he's a nice guy. I like his messages. I like his sermons. It makes me feel good. Okay, that's you could call that life and a pep talk. Life and motivational speaking. But you can't call it life and godliness. Because grave soaking is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. You see? Oh, you're too much of a hardliner. He's a nice guy. You see, when a pastor says, hey, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. When a pastor says that, go and listen to our study. It's called do not take the mark of the beast. 
And a pastor says, you know, oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Listen, that's another spirit. That's another spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. Because the word of God says, don't you dare take the mark of the beast. You see? And the Holy Spirit never leads a person away from the word of God. Another spirit does. An evil spirit does. So a pastor says, hey, let's go grave soaking. How can there be life and godliness? A pastor says, hey, go ahead and take the mark, uh, mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. How can there be life and godliness? There's life and religion, life and intelligentsia, but it is not life and godliness. And so Brother Peter, inspired of the Lord, 67 AD, where it's ultra life-threatening to be a Christian. I mean, 64 AD, it was very dangerous to be, a, very, very dangerous to be a Christian, even deadly. But 67 AD, three years later, ultra, ultra dangerous to be a Christian. And Peter continues about life and godliness. In verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, he says, now let's pause here for a moment. Through these, how many times in our study in both covenants, how many times do you hear us mention effectuation? You see, God's promises are things that we can absolutely lean on and stand on and in. But there is such a thing as effectuation. Remember in Deuteronomy where the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in the same chapter, he says, I have forsaken you. Wait a second. First of all, the Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then all of a sudden, in the very same chapter, he says, I've forsaken you. Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. You see, the formula has to be right in the people in order for the effectuation of that promise. The formula has to be right. Remember our study on Wednesday? It just so happened we looked at the Levite priest. Oh, look, we have a priest. Oh, look, he's Levite. He meets the qualifications. And there are qualifications according to the flesh. Yes, he's in the lineage of the Levitical priesthood, but he was idolatrous. Wrong formula. You see, we look deeper. He was idolatrous. Even with Jesus. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. But there are a people who will hear the words, depart from me. You see, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But there are a people who will hear, depart from me. Did the Lord change his mind? Just like we look at in the Old Testament. No, the Lord did not change his mind. What happened? The people changed their heart. But when the formula in you is right, there are exceedingly great and precious promises and there is effectuation because 
Through these, Brother Peter continues, you may be partakers of the divine nature. You see? You may be partakers of the divine nature, he says. Understand, there is a divine nature. Peter had it. James had it. Chloe had it. Phoebe had it. Alexander, Jimenez, Demas, they lost it. You see? And if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies. 1 Corinthians, all the way to 2 Peter. You'll understand more. You see? And Peter, when he gives these exhortations, they're so beautiful, they're so powerful. When he speaks of effectuation, it's so beautiful, it's so powerful, especially even more so understanding the time of 67 AD. End of the road for Peter. And yet, still, even still, fighting the good fight. And being partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Through lust. What is it that lust leads to? Sex, drugs, alcohol, Buddha, Ouija boards, yoga, crystals, Krishnas, chakras. Pick your poison. Pick your poison. And Peter says, being a partaker of the divine nature, there is an escaping of corruption. And this begs a very, very serious question. Why is it? Why is it that in the church today, we see the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the chakras? Why? It's because they haven't escaped corruption. They have not escaped corruption. Now, having not escaped corruption, is their nature divine? Very important. Again, 67 AD, these are things that are being, that are exposed. In 64 AD, they, they're being exposed. 67 AD, even more exposed. And for us in our generation, these are things that will be exposed as we get further into the events of the last days. These are things that will be exposed. You see? And today, pastors like to say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace, pastors like to say, and people like to repeat back. And listen, too often, way too often, it's said as an excuse for sin and the carnal nature. And when pastors say it, most of the time, it's because the pastor is compromised through his own sex, drugs, and alcohol, and idolatry. Understand, all have sinned, yes. Yes, all have sinned. But as we grow and mature in Christ, we can sin less and less and less. You're never going to be sinless. 
but we can sin less and less and less as we grow, as we mature in Christ, as we move on to perfection, as we escape corruption and become partakers of the divine, the very thing that Brother Peter tells us. You see? Now, before we continue to verse 5, look at the end of verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10, where Peter says, you will never stumble. Brother Peter, he tells us that it is entirely possible to never stumble. Never stumble. It's not just possible. It's more definitive. He says, you will never stumble. You see? Pastors today, they see the sex in the church. They see the alcohol in the church. They see the drugs in the church. And what do they say? Oh, we're all sinners. You see? They see the drugs. They see the Buddha. They see the Ouija boards. They see the yoga. They see the chakras. They see it in the church. And they say, oh, we're all sinners. But who is the pastor who will say, repent? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, where is such a man? You see? We've looked at, mentioned, studied Corinthians exhaustively. We study, we, we, we mentioned Corinthians quite a bit. And leadership matters because under the leadership of the defunct, look at Corinth. Under the leadership of the non-defunct, look at Corinth. You see, leadership matters. Just like Israel. Israel under Moses, beautiful. And even when another leader arose, Korah, well, under Moses, those who chose to, uh, to, to follow Moses, hey, praise be to the Lord, it's beautiful. Those who followed Korah, they died. You see? Those who follow Peter, beautiful. Praise be to the Lord. Those who follow Alexander, not beautiful. You see? We've already looked at key ingredients to when Peter says, never stumble. We've looked at key ingredients. But Peter, you know, the, the, what in the earlier verses here in chapter 1, but let's look at more. Let's look at more in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now, remember, this is Peter. This is Peter. This is not Alexander. This is not Hymenaeus. That is, this is not the defunct. These, this isn't the, 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 the type of leader of Corinth when they had the leaven. This isn't the type of leader where, you know, with the leaven in Corinth was accepting of the sex and the alcohol and the extortion. No, this is Peter. This isn't someone who talks the talk. No, he straight up walks the walk. And Brother Peter, beautiful vessel of the Lord, he says to give all diligence. And how that translates in the Greek is to give all diligence, is to give all speed, Urgency, diligence, care, eagerness, and earnestness. Diligence to what? 
I mean, in 67 AD, is, is, is Peter going to say, oh, you know, fight the power, you know, let's, let's go fight and go to war against the government because we have our rights? No, not at all. Not at all. Remember, the way we fight, the rules of engagement of the new covenant as new covenant believers in submission to the commander of the armies of the Lord in accordance to the rules of engagement set forth by him in the new covenant as new covenant believers. Our fight is not physical. It's according to the spirit. You know, look at Paul. Look at Peter. When they speak, when Peter speaks in the public square, when Paul is speaking in synagogue, they speak with such power, with such authority. Paul would go to the hornet's nest. He would go inside synagogue and prove that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Paul would do. Prove. I mean... Who among us would go straight up into the hornet's nest? And not just go into the hornet's nest to pick a fight. No, go into the hornet's nest to go fishing. Fishing for great white sharks. And go fishing for, you know, the, the, the big whales. And that's what Paul would do. He would go into the synagogue where there were people who knew Torah. They were educated and schooled in academia. And they were trained up in the ways of Torah. And that's where Paul would go. You see? And he would prove from the scriptures, from Torah, he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And you look at these men of valor. You look at Paul, it's like, wow. You know, he goes into the hornet's nest. You look at Peter, wow. He goes into the public square and they speak so beautifully and valiantly and powerfully and with authority. And then all of a sudden they come to get arrested and it's like, okay, let's see if his tongue matches his fists. Let's see if powerful Paul, if his fist matches his tongue. Let's see if powerful Peter, if his fist matches his tongue. They want to speak so tough. Paul speaks so tough. Peter speaks so tough. Let's see if his fist matches. Let's see if their fist matches their tongue. And then all of a sudden, they get arrested. They get beaten and they get thrown in jail. And it's like, well, wait a second. Wait a second. How come... How come they speak and they engage and they, they speak with such authority? And yet, here they are just getting taken away without a fight. You know why? Because they know all about the rules of engagement. In the old covenant, Peter would have been justified to bust out his sword. But as new covenant believers, what did the Lord say to Peter? Hey, Sheathe your sword, put it away. And so when Peter, when he's writing about giving all speed, urgency, diligence, care, earnestness, and eagerness, is it to fight according to the flesh? Not at all. The call is for the remnant saint to give all diligence to do something. And what does he say? To give all diligence, giving all diligence, he says in verse 5, add to your faith virtue. 
Beautiful. I meant to the carnal. To the carnal. Do you know how crazy this sounds? Where you have Christians under the thumb of the religious leaders, under the thumb of Rome and 67 AD, where it's very dangerous to be a believer. And to the carnal, do you realize how crazy this sounds? There are movements to come against Rome and to fight against Rome in both the church and the, the uh, 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 in Judaism. There are major movements to fight against Rome. And does Peter say, hey, Christians, join those movements? No, he doesn't say that. He says, add to your faith virtue. It's simple math. In verse 2, we see multiplication. In verse 2, it's what God does. And here in verse 5, it's so simple. It's easy math. Addition. And what do we do? He says, add to your faith virtue. Remember the blind guy? The blind guy who was healed by Jesus and he could see? What was his theology? This is something that we've been looking at for the, you know, couple weeks now what was his theology what did he know when the religious leader says you know hey you know you were blind because of your sin and when they couldn't pin it on him they go to the parents you know hey is it you know is it the kid is it you you and they threaten the parents they threaten the parents and finally the guy who was blind from birth he was blind and now he can see and he says look Look, he doesn't, he doesn't know the depths of theology. He can't, you know, say, well, you know, in, in, in Isaiah and in, in this, and he didn't say, well, the Torah and Moses says this in Leviticus. You know, he didn't cite anything like that. What does he say to the Pharisees? He says, look, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. He believes in Jesus. And he knows that he's healed. And he says, look, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. That was his theology. Very, very basic theology, but very beautiful theology. Where a person believes in Jesus and says, look, I don't know the depths of, you know, Genesis. I don't know the depths of Leviticus. I don't know the depths of, you know, 1 Corinthians and the makeup of the church and Ephesians and Galatians. I don't even know how to pronounce. Is it, you know? Galatians, you know, you, you talk to like baby Christians and they don't like you, you say like, oh, you know, turn to first Timothy and it takes them like an hour because they're in the Old Testament looking for first Timothy. They don't know that because they're babies in Christ. And yes, it's beautiful that we have babies in Christ. But the problem is when babies stay babies, that's not good. And you look at this guy who can now see. He doesn't know the depths of theology. He just says, look, man, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And Jesus healed me. And it's so beautiful because you might be listening and you don't know the depths of theology. But all you know is that you believe in Jesus, you love the Lord, and he's healed you. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Let no one despise your youth. And you know, it's so simple. It's simple math. It's simple math. What is the baby believer to do? Start with faith. 
Just like Peter says, add to your faith virtue. Start with faith. Freshly born again in Christ. And if you're listening and you're not a believer and you're like, well, this guy's talking about born again in Christ. And what does that mean? What does that hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, because you'll learn all about being born again. And you too, my beautiful friend can be born again. Or I can then call you my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. You see? Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, and boom, this is you. This is you. Where we see here, you start with faith. Faith, freshly, a fresh baby in Christ. Now we look at this recipe that Brother Peter is telling us about. You look at this, this recipe the recipe book of Holy Scripture. And what do we see? Well, you, you add a little tablespoon. You add you, two tablespoons of virtue. Two tablespoons of virtue. So, you know, in the Greek, virtue translates as valor, excellence, praise, and virtue. You see? Now, understand, the world, the world has its version of what it deems to be excellent and virtuous. But that's not a holy recipe book. We stick to the Word of God. And we see the excellence and valor and virtue of Deborah, Jephthah, Jephthah's beautiful daughter, remember? Peter, James, Chloe, Phoebe. These are vessels of the Lord who are patterns for emulation. What Peter says, patterns for emulation. You know what that is? Patterns to copy. You see? I mean, if... I'm not very good at basketball. I can I can play a mean game of horse and that's about it. I'm not very good at basketball. But if you and me were to join a the NBA, a professional basketball team, you you wouldn't want me at basketball. You wouldn't want me to be the pattern for emulation. No, you'd want you know Michael Jordan to be the pattern for emulation. And it's so powerful when you look at Jephthah, his daughter James, Chloe. Peter, these are patterns that the Lord has. Because the world has its idea of what is excellent. But in the holy recipe book called the Bible, the Lord teaches us what is excellent and virtuous. You see? And they themselves... These in the halls of faith and not just the halls of faith. These are our family according to faith. Phoebe, our sister. James, our brother. Peter, our brother. Jephthah's daughter. Jephthah, we're going to see these people. We're going to see them. They themselves, in their time, in their era, they applied the ingredients and formula of a holy recipe. And there's more ingredients. Because Brother Peter, he says, to, to virtue, knowledge. So we have faith and virtue. We have faith and virtue in the holy recipe book we call the Word of God, the Bible. Something that Brother Peter is teaching us about in this holy recipe book. We have faith and virtue. If you're a baby Christian, you're a baby, you're just like the blind guy where you don't know the depths of theology, but you know that you love the Lord and he's healed you. That's beautiful. You have a beautiful faith. And you take that faith and simple math 
you add to it virtue. Does it end there? No. Because Brother Peter continues, he says, to, to virtue, knowledge. Now, don't forget. Don't forget. When we hit fast forward and got to verse 10 where you will never stumble. Well, Peter is teaching us. Peter, inspired of the Lord, who didn't talk the talk. No, he walked the walk. And he's teaching us. He's showing us how. If you're a baby Christian and somebody looks down on you because you don't know the depths of theology, that person's a fool. See, sometimes it's the opposite where, you know, a baby Christian thinks, oh man, I'm stupid. You know, I'm the fool. I don't know. I don't know the Bible like this guy. I don't know the Bible like that lady. I don't know the Bible like this. And it's the baby that thinks they're stupid. But the Bible says, no, that person is stupid. You see, when Paul says, let no one despise your youth. Remember the rugby match? If you've been walking with us for a while, the rugby match from our study in Romans. We're not to shun the baby. We're not to neglect the baby. Babies are beautiful. The problem happens when babies stay babies. That can't happen. It does happen. But that's where the shepherds, you know, come alongside and say, hey, you know, we, you know, grow up. We got to get you to grow up. And if a person refuses, okay, then there's the, the word of God teaches us. Okay, now we're talking leaven territory. A person that refuses. That's leaven ter territory where the Lord teaches us how that's handled in a manner that is pleasing to him. And just like we see when babies stay babies for three years, as in the case in Corinth, the Lord teaches, okay, how is this handled? It's the remnant that has to separate from the leaven. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. You see? So we have faith and virtue. Now we move on to the next ingredient, which is two cups of knowledge. You see? Where is knowledge to be found? We find it in the Word of God. Also remember that knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And now we see how the Lord helps us with this holy recipe, actively helps us. I mean, have you ever baked, kiki, uh, baked cookies with little kids? Have you ever baked cookies with your children? Where you say, hey, baby girl, put a little sprinkle of this and a little sprinkle of that. And you help your children with a very special recipe. How much more with our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. How much more with him. And we have even more ingredients in verse 6. To knowledge, self-control. Self-control. Which is fruit of the Spirit, remember? And today we see a people today. Inside the church and outside the church. People becoming unhinged. Straight up crazy. It's the strong delusion that the Bible teaches us about. Strong delusion. Which happens when there's no love of truth. Remember our study from 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2? But not so with the remnant. To knowledge, self-control. You see? 
And so in verse 6, we see, okay, we take this recipe, and now we add three tablespoons of self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And in the Greek, this translates as cheerful and hopeful endurance. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. First, you say 67 AD. First of all, in our study in 1 Peter, you say 64 AD is a very dangerous time, a time of peril. And now you say in 67 AD, now it's even more perilous. And you say that saints can be cheerful and hopeful. I'll give you the answer. 100%. It surpasses understanding. You know why? It's a work of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord. And the recipe and the formula, it continues to perseverance. Godly. It's easy math. This isn't like, okay, you know, measure the circumference of self-control and then do the perpendicular circumference of perseverance and add, you know, divide the two, carry the one, and, you know, the square root of, you know, perseverance. No, it's easy math. Easy math. Addition. Just like one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. Easy math. It's so easy. Remember, the Lord says... My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, he doesn't make it difficult. He makes it very easy. And it's very easy. It's very intricate too. It's very intricate. Which is why the Lord has teachers and pastors and, you know, overseers to help us, to help us grow and walk in the ways of righteousness, to teach us and equip us like Paul, like James, like Titus, like Timothy, like Peter. The Lord has these people. And this simple math, this recipe and formula we see to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Godliness. But we're all sinners saved by grace, people like to say. Listen, never use this as an excuse to sin or as an excuse for sin. Brother Peter is speaking about godliness among the saints. Godliness. And in verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. You see? And yet people believe and pastors even teach with leaven inside the church. Leaven inside the church. And they say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Let's just love on them. Let's just show them brotherly kindness and love. Look, verse 7 says brotherly kindness and brotherly love. But don't forget, the recipe calls for godliness. Don't get me wrong. Brotherly kindness and love are extremely beautiful, holy. But the inclusion of leaven eliminates the ingredient of godliness. Because a little leaven isn't just a little leaven. It leavens the whole. 
This is why Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, listen, you guys, he says, your rejoicing is not good. Your rejoicing is not good. Picture that. Picture that where you have a fellowship of saints. And you say, well, wait a second, they're saints, okay? They gather, they fellowship, and okay, everything looks fine, and they're, they're praising the Lord, and, you know, they have their hands up, and they, they have worship, they have their hands up, they're worshiping the Lord, and they're praying, and wow, this is a beautiful thing. What do you think, Paul? What would Paul say when there's leaven in the camp? When, yeah, you know, it's Sunday, they're worshiping, but, you know, there's people that are hung over from partying last night on Saturday. You see? They were gambling on Friday night at the casino. Now you say, well, they're babies. They just became born again on Thursday night. You say, okay, they're babies. Okay, let's, let's teach the babies. Let's train the babies. But what about when they're babies, but they've been babies for three years? They didn't become Christians on Thursday night. No, they became Christians five years ago, two years ago, four years ago. What do you think, Paul? Look, fellowship of the saints. What do you think, Paul? Because to Corinth, Paul says, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. He says, take the leaven and you got to get rid of the leaven. Now, rules of engagement of the new covenant. He doesn't say, take them out back and stone them. No. New covenant. He says, remnant separate. You are a consecrated people. Just like Moses. Remember the farewell dissertation of discourse of, of Moses? When he says to Israel, you are a special people. You are a consecrated people. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. We get to the book of Judges. What happens? They forgot. We look at the Corinthian church. What happened? They forgot. But not Chloe. She remembered. The same word went forth. And three years later, Chloe remembers. The majority forgot. You see, and Paul says, you're rejoicing. It's not a good thing. You see, and when Peter says here, you know, in verse seven, you know, to godliness, brotherly kindness and brotherly, or, you know, to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly, brotherly kindness, love. Listen, it's, it's beautiful to have love for the saints. We're family. Brotherly kindness, kindness and love to brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. But we must understand the formula. Because where there is leaven, that leaven has to be addressed. That leaven must be dealt with in a manner that is pleasing unto the Lord according to the rules of engagement of the new covenant, not the old. You're not to say, hey, you know, you've been doing your sex for three years. Okay, let me take you back. We're going to stone you. No. That's Old Testament. Old Covenant, where the wages of sin is death. That's Old Covenant. And in the New Covenant, the wages of sin is still death. But no one is qualified to cast any stones. Only Jesus. And he doesn't cast stones. He judges and he will judge. But not yet. 
That door of mercy and grace, it's open. It's been open for 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. And for 2,000 years, give or take a couple years, it's been slowly, slowly, slowly closing. It's not going to be open forever. It's so beautiful to show and have brotherly kindness, kindness of the saints unto saints, the body caring for the body. But to do that with leaven, not good. Not good. It is unsafe. You see? And these pastors, they like to say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Let's just love on them. Let's just show them kindness and love, just like the Bible says here in verse 7, brotherly kindness, brotherly love. And listen, let's just show them that. But listen, the recipe calls for godliness. Where is godliness? The recipe outlined in scripture. It's not my recipe. It's not Peter's recipe. It's the Lord's recipe. I mean, if you follow like the, the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, I, like, hands down, the best chocolate chip cookies of the world, you have to follow that recipe to the T. You have to follow that. I mean, if you want the if you want the best tasting cookies and chocolate chip cookies in the whole wide world, I'm more of a peanut butter guy. But we'll just say chocolate chip cookies. If you want to eat the best chocolate chip cookies, hands down, in the world, you have to follow that recipe. It's not my recipe. It's not your recipe. It's the baker's recipe, whoever formulated that recipe for the best chocolate chip cookies, hands down, in the world. It calls for sugar, it calls for eggs, it calls for, you know, all the, a certain type of prepared chocolate. A little dash of this, a little dash of that. It calls for a sprinkle of this, a sprinkle of that. It calls for a special baking method, you know, put it in for... X number of minutes, take it out, let it cool, put it in again. It takes its very special method of cooking, very special recipe. If you want the best chocolate chip cookies, hands down, in the world. And with the word of God, this recipe of godliness and holiness and righteousness, it's not mine. It's not Peter's. It's not Paul's. It's from the Lord. It's God's. You see? Now, Peter is an instructor on these very things, a teacher on these very things, an overseer on these very things, a shepherd of these very things, just like Paul. Just like James. And the Lord teaches us the qualifications of shepherds who are tasked by him, by the Lord. It's not a guy who says, well, you know, I want to I want to do good for my community, so I think I'm going to be a pastor. It's not a person who says, oh, I want to feel good about myself. You know, I want to I want to cover my, cover up my guilt of of sin. I want to cover up my guilt of shame. So I'm going to do, you know, oppose that by doing more good. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. No. That's carnal. That's carnally inspired. It's carnally motivated. It's motivated and began in the flesh. Unless 
the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain, those who build. But when the Lord says, just like he said to Amos, say, Amos, you're my guy. Amos said, listen, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, surprise, Amos, you're a prophet. You're my guy. You see? Just like to Paul. Just like to Peter. Tasked by the Lord. This isn't Paul who wants to, you know, feel good about himself and do good for the community. No, he died. Beheaded. This isn't Peter wanting to do good for the community. No, he died. Crucified. This is the Lord saying, Peter, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep, Peter. And Peter responding, yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. I will go. Where you lead, I will go. You see? Beautiful. It's holy. It's God's recipe. And Peter teaching about this recipe. Or he straight up says, You will never stumble. You will never stumble. But we have to follow the recipe. Just like the cookies. You want the best chocolate chip cookies? Hands down in, I mean, there's good chocolate chip cookies around the world. I mean, you know, there's, there's chefs in like, you know, Saudi Arabia that are, you know, they, they pay the best bakers in the world. You have like chefs that are in, you know, Dubai and, you know, they're, they're paid, they're paid well specifically for that to, to, to have the best cookies in the world, the best, you know, in New York and Manhattan, the best cookies in the world. And among them, they have their competitions, the baking competitions, and it's proven, okay, this guy in France, this baker in France, he's got, hands down, the best cookies, the best chocolate chip cookies in all the world. He has a very special recipe. If you want a cookie that tastes exactly like that, you have to follow that recipe to the T. You have to follow. And how much more with the Word of God? You see? And it's easy math. Addition. The Lord doesn't say, you know, measure the circumference of this and, you know, carry the two and add the one and, you know, add the, you know, take the circumference of this and measure the, you know, the, the, you know, the square root of this and, you know, no, it's easy. Pluses. I like plus. Nice and easy. And to God, to godliness, brotherly kindness, add in, in verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Easy math. And I get the motivation when people say, you know, oh, look, we're all sinners saved by grace. Let's just love on them and love on them and love on them. Yes. When Paul loves, 
when Peter loves, when James loves, when they love, it does not exclude the truth of the word of God, even when it hurts. Remember James? James, when he says adulterers and adulterers, he's speaking to Christians, to Christians. You have not because you ask amiss, remember? Go back and listen to our study in James. You'll understand more. You have not because you ask amiss. The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not his truth and his word. Brother James says, no, you're the problem. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, which includes apostates. Oh, that's not loving, James. That's not very loving. Look, you know, the Bible says, you know, brotherly kindness and brotherly love. And that's not loving and that's not very kind, James. We cannot have godliness. We cannot have brotherly love and brotherly kindness that excludes the truth of God's holy word. Because that's the ultimate form of love. God's holy word. And in verse 8, Brother Peter continues, he says, For if, if, for if these things are yours and abound. Now, in the Greek, it translates better as because these things are in you and abound. Now, remember, we're in 67 AD, where three years ago, when Peter wrote his first letter in 64 AD, very perilous then, very perilous then. Now, three years later, way more perilous. And tribulation, the, the peril of 67 AD, the tribulation of 67 AD exposes both error and beauty. The exact same way the threshing floor exposes both tares and wheat. What Peter says in 67 AD, it absolutely resonated in 67 AD and through the centuries, but even more so for the last day's remnant being made beautiful for her bridegroom. You see? It's beautiful. And so Peter in verse 8, when he says, if these things are yours and abound, you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the remnant saint. That's the remnant saint. You won't, you won't be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's us. But Peter mentions the leaven too in verse 9. He says in verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even through blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, in the Greek, it's better said in the Greek as negating these things, a person is blind and cannot see far. 
and has forgotten that he was washed from old sins. We'll say that again. Verse 9. A better translation according to the Greek. Negating these things, a person is blind and cannot see far and has forgotten that he was washed from his old sins. Now, to negate is a verb. It's a verb. It's to invalidate, to nullify, and to make ineffective. You see, the holy recipe that Peter is teaching about, number one, it's not his recipe. It's a recipe that he follows, so it is his recipe in that sense because he follows. But he didn't create that recipe. The Lord did. Just like, you know, the the, 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 the baker in France, the number one chocolate chip cookie in the world in France. It's, it's a recipe that's been passed down for five generations from great, 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 great grandpappy. I might have done an extra great, but it's that guy's recipe. He's the originator of that recipe. Where the baker, the current baker, no, he, he, he has applied the recipe. He bakes according to that recipe, but it's not his. It's in his family, yes. It's just like Peter. It's his recipe in the sense that he's applied it to his life. That's how he lives. That's his conduct. But it's from the Lord. You see? And this recipe must be followed for things holy. I mean, the holy recipe does not include grave soaking. What does that reveal? Is the recipe wrong? No way. The grave soaker is wrong. The holy recipe doesn't call for, hey, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Is the recipe wrong? No. That pastor is wrong. He calls himself pastor, but he's disqualified. You see? The holy recipe doesn't call for the ingredient of replacement theology that teaches God is done with Israel and now his promises are no longer for Israel, it's for the church. The holy recipe doesn't call for that because it's a lie from the pit of hell. The holy recipe is holy. Therefore, that theory, that theology, replacement theology, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You see? You and me, we must apply the holy recipe. Just like Peter, just like Paul, just like James, just like Chloe, just like Phoebe, Lydia, Priscilla, there's a holy recipe in the manner of holiness. You see? And we mention females because females are warriors. But we don't mention females in terms of shepherding. That type of covering is always male. Always, always, always male. Always. Pastors, elders, always male. 
very important. It's the holy recipe. There's a formula and recipe according for you and me conduct as Christians, as believers. But there's a formula of for pastors and overseers and elders. There's a formula for them as well. Just the same way there's a formula for the church and fellowship. Always, always, always accounting for babies. Always. Remember the rugby match from our study in Romans. Always accounting for babies. And just like the Old Testament, leadership matters. Because qualified shepherds will teach you and help you and train you and equip you. But the disqualified overseer? You see? And in verse 9, what do we see? The people forget. The people forget. Exactly like we see in Judges. When the Lord became forgotten. In verse 10, Brother Peter continues. And he says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, he says in verse 10. Make your call and election sure. More diligence to make your call and election sure. You do this, you'll never stumble, he says in verse 10. That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. I mean, for a pastor or teacher to say, you will never stumble, never stumble. That man, a person says, you will never stumble. That man is either a liar, straight up crazy, or... He's a bondservant of Jesus. You see, you choose. You have Alexander and Himenaeus. If we were to get in a time machine and go back to 67 AD, we have Alexander and Himenaeus where all the Christians are flocking to. Oh, look, there's a growth movement, the church growth movement over here. Look, it's so popular. Look at all the membership that are with Alexander and Himenaeus. But when we know formula, yeah, the, the, the people are with Alexander. The people are with Himenaeus, the, the masses. But the Lord's not. You see? The Lord's with Peter. The Lord's with Paul. Why? They follow his recipe. They follow his formula. They teach about the Lord's recipe, the recipe for righteousness. I mean, Peter straight up says, you you will never stumble. In verse 10, if you do these things, you will never stumble. How many Christians today stumble? A whole lot. And yet the word of God says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. What does that say about obedience? It's lacking today. And yet Peter says, you will never stumble. Someone might say, look at the church today and be like, oh, you know, that that guy's crazy. 
He's a liar because Peter says you will never stumble, but you look at the church today and everybody stumble. Oh, Peter's a liar. No, 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 no. Peter's not the problem. The problem is the church. You see? Now you see why James, when he says adulterers and adulteresses, the problem's not the Lord. The problem's not his word. The problem is you, James says. That's hardcore. Bondservant Peter. He teaches us about this holy recipe and this holy formula, which comes with a guarantee. A guarantee. Peter says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. And there's more in verse 11. For so an entrance. For so an entrance. You know what this is in the Greek? For so an entrance. It translates as the journey, the means, the route, and the way. For entrance. He says, will be supplied to you abundantly. You know how that translates? Shall be fully supplied, fully given, fully furnished, and abounding in richness. That's how it translates in the Greek, in the original manuscripts. As recorded. Remember, Peter was illiterate. The journey, the means, the route, and the way for entrance shall be fully supplied, fully given, fully furnished, and abounding in richness. But where does this journey and route, where does this way, where does this fully being fully supplied and abounding in richness, where does it go? And we see he continues in verse 11 into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This formula, this recipe that Peter teaches us about, it is the way that leads to paradise, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see? You're in a fellowship where the recipe is right, always accounting for babies. Listen, do not leave. It's probably going to be a tiny church. I've been in churches of 14,000 people all the way down to just two. And you would be shocked if I were to tell you where Love Feast was found. If you're in a fellowship where the recipe is wrong, leave. Pray and seek a fellowship. Very dangerous times. The day that we live in today, very, very dangerous times. And remember, God's judgment is a sure thing. And it begins with the church. That's where it starts. It begins with the church. This guarantee that Brother Peter writes about, number one, he says, you do this, you'll never stumble. When Paul says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, anybody can say, follow me. 
as I follow Christ. Anybody can say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say it. But when you understand formula and you know the recipe as given by the Lord, Alexander can say, follow me as I follow Christ. And you can say, hey, fat chance, go fly a kite. Himenaeus can say, follow me as I follow Christ. No way, that's not happening. See ya. Study Bible guy who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Follow me as I follow Christ, he says. That's nice. See you later. The guy who says, or the, the, the large church with many pastors that around the world that say, hey, let's go grave soaking. The grave soakers. They say, follow me as I follow Christ. You say, nope, fat chance. That's not happening. You see, the coalition guys, the coalition guys who teach replacement theology, they got their children's books. They got books all over the place. They teach replacement theology. Follow me as I follow Christ. They say, that's nice. See you later. Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. When you understand and know formula and recipe, you know it is safe to submit to Paul. When Timothy says, follow me as I follow Christ. When Peter says, follow me as I follow Christ. When James says, follow me as I follow Christ. When John says, follow me as I follow Christ, and you understand formula, you know that all these others, they're crazy. They're straight up crazy. You can't, they can say it all they want, but you cannot follow. You see? But with Paul, Timothy, Titus, it is safe. Peter, James, safe. When you understand recipe. see and when these full package qualified shepherds they can speak with these guarantees just like peter when he says you do this you will never stumble that what pastor do you know would dare to utter such words if you do these things that I teach, what pastor do you know will say, if you do the things that I teach, you will never stumble. How many pastors do you know that will dare to say that? Peter doesn't. You see? Peter says, you do this, you're never going to stumble. You do this, you don't have to wonder about paradise. No. It's there, like... It's like it's lit up. You ever see like when planes land, when it's foggy, or it's nighttime, it's foggy out? No, that, that runway is lit up. And they're not wondering like, man, you know, I, you know the pilot's not, you know, I, I, I hope this is the runway. I hope it's not, you know, a neighborhood. I, I hope this is the runway. No, it, it's lit up. What pastor do you know would say, hey, if you do the things that I teach, you will never stumble. And 
what passage you know will dare to say that, but at the same time will take it even further. It's not just that you will never stumble, but the journey, the means, the route, and the way for entrance. It's not just, you know, you have to look for it and search for it and wonder if you're on the right path. No, it's going to be fully supplied, fully given, fully furnished, and abounding in richness into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder. No. Paradise. When Peter says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Timothy, Titus, James, John, when they say, follow me as I follow Christ, no, paradise. You don't have to wonder, like, you know, is this the right? Is this, no, it's straight. You understand formula? You know, okay, this is full package, fully qualified. Boom. You don't have to wonder. You know, I hope I'll be in paradise. No, you don't have to wonder. You see? Peter doesn't talk the talk. He's full package. He walks the walk. You see? Very important for the last day's generation to know recipe, to know formula. Because Satan knows his time is short. And just as Paul and Peter mobilize the Pastors, the next generation of leadership, Satan, he's also mobilizing. Don't forget, the church, it's in shrinkage. 64 AD, it was already in shrinkage, but 67 AD, it's getting smaller and smaller. Satan is attacking. And in the last days, Satan, he's always been attacking. But when he knows his time is short, he's going to intensify his attacks. And it is prophesied he will prevail against the saints. You see? Very important. You can understand formula. You can understand recipe. To live it, to walk it, And if you're in a fellowship, to know what the recipe is for fellowship. And in fellowship, in submission to a pastor who watches out for your soul, who wants you to forget him. He, more than him, he wants you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. He wants you to hear those words from the Lord spoken to you. And he teaches, he pours, he fights, and he'll die to that end. You see? And when you understand formula, these are things that you will know. When you understand the recipe that Peter teaches, that Paul teaches, it's not their recipe. It's just like the guy in France. It's great, 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 great grandpappy's recipe. He's just following. Still a good recipe. It's the best recipe in the world. But he's following. You see? Just like Paul when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say it. 
Just like, you know, anybody can say, oh, I got the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. Here, try this. You take your first bite and you spit it out because it's nasty. And you know, you know the recipe. And you know, that's not the guy in France. That's the guy in, you know, Budapest. No offense to Budapest. If you're listening, you're from Budapest. I love you. But I'm just saying Budapest. France and Budapest, you know, different cookies. You know, that's not the guy in France. The guy in France has the best cookies, hands down, in the world. Chocolate chip cookies. Special preparation of the dough. Special ingredients in the dough. A hint of this, a hint of that, and a dash of this, and a dash of that. Very specially prepared chocolate. Cooking methods, very intricate. It's very simple, very easy, but very, very intricate. And it's not his. He's just following from great, 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 great grandpappy. You see? It's not the, the cookie from Budapest. It's not the cookie from, you know, uh, uh, Beijing. It's not the cookie from, you know, uh, 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 Saudi Arabia. Although there was a good baker in Saudi Arabia, but he wasn't the best. And that's what we see here in the word of God. Him and Aes, they can say whatever they want. Alexander, he can say whatever he wants. Study Bible guy, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. He can say whatever he wants. The grave soakers, they can say whatever they want. Replacement theology from the coalition, they can say whatever they want. But when you understand the holy recipe, you know they're crazy. They are liars. Because the word, the word of God teaches us in things holy. And the manner of things holy so that you and me can know and know the way. Not just, not to have a good life. It's for paradise. For paradise. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And in verse 12, for this reason, Peter continues in verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I love this so much. I'm so in love with Peter. I'm so in love with him. Because Peter stresses this holy recipe quite a bit. Recipe, recipe, recipe. And he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind, not just remind you, remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, he says. And in verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. This is something we like to call earth suit. Peter says, as long as I'm in this earth suit, as long as I'm in this tent. He says, I think it is right to stir you up by reminding you. Now, in the Greek, this reminding you, it's more of a process. It's more of a process which is to arouse, to waken, and to make fully awake. It's through recollection. Paul says, or Peter says here, to stir you up by reminding you. It's through this recollection, and it's this process to arouse, to awaken, to make fully awake. You know, like you're sleeping. You know, you're sleeping. And somebody wakes you up and you, you know, you're, you're aroused to the point where like, you know, you're, uh, you, you know, you're awake, but you're still kind of like drowsy. And then, you know, you sit up and, you know, you, you walk, you know, and you get your coffee, you drink your coffee, you're awake. But, you know, three hours later, you're fully awake. 
See, there's that, that process. And that's what Peter is speaking about here, to arouse, to waken, to make fully awake. And Peter says, I think it is right. Now, understand, this is Peter. This is Peter. This isn't, this isn't Alexander saying, I think it's right. This isn't Jimenez saying, I think it's right. Now, this is Peter saying, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this tent, as long as I'm in this earth suit to stir you up, to arouse, waken, and make you fully awake by reminding you through this recollection. It's very interesting when you look at the prophecies. It's very interesting that the 10 virgins that Jesus tells about in Matthew 25, they're all asleep before the bridegroom comes. They're all asleep. They're all slumbering and sleeping, all 10. All 10 become aroused to where they're no longer asleep. All 10 are awake. But only five are fully awake. You see, the church today, sound asleep, slumbering away. Where are the Peters of our generation? That's what I want to know. Where are they? Where are the Pauls, the Timothys, the Tituses, the Philemons, the James? Where are they? In verse 14, Peter says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Now, Peter, he's at the end of the road. Historically, he's crucified. He was crucified. And he didn't count himself as worthy to die like the Lord, our Lord, his Lord, Jesus. So he says, hey, do me upside down. And so historically, you know, according to church history, he hung on his cross, but the cross was upside down because he didn't want to die. He wasn't worthy to die like Jesus. Full acknowledgement of how the Lord instructed him. In verse 14, when he says, shortly, I must put off my tent. He's going to die. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, in John, turn really quick to John 21. The book of John, chapter 21. Turn really quick. And in John 21. Jesus is having a talk with Peter. And in John 21, verse 18, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. To Peter, Jesus said, follow me twice. Follow me, teaching Peter how to live. Follow me, teaching Peter how to die. Then Peter's reached the end of the road. In this life, in this tent, in his earth suit, and tending to the flock of God. Tending to the flock of God. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember, the Lord told him, 
feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And Peter in obedience, okay, Lord, yes, Lord, I will teach. You see, I will shepherd. I will tell them about your recipe, Lord. It's Jesus who says to Peter twice, follow me. Follow me when he was a baby in Christ. Or he says, follow me before he, you know, acknowledged the Lord as the Lord. He says, follow me. And Peter followed him, learning the manner of living. And later on, he says, follow me. Jesus says to him, follow me. Showing Peter how to die. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, shepherding exactly how, you know, tasked by the Lord, he says in verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. See, Peter's in full acknowledgement that he's, he's at the end of the road. He's going to die. 67 AD, very dangerous to be a Christian. And this is something that Peter is not excluded from. You see, Peter's not like hiding behind saints. He's not like, okay, you know, it's dangerous to be a Christian and, you know, you you guys shield me. No. No, no human shields. Peter is fully aware that he's included and he doesn't shy away. Full obedience unto the Lord. Complete and total obedience unto the Lord and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's caring for the flock, even caring for the flock after his decease, after he dies. To be careful to ensure that he says in verse 15 that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Just like Paul. Paul, just like Paul. There's care for the next generation of righteousness, but it is through the next generation of leadership. And Peter speaks of leadership, just like Paul. Different vessel, vessel Peter, vessel Paul. But you know what? Same Lord, same spirit. You see, shepherds, qualified, full package. In verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Remember, Peter has a firsthand account. And so in verse 16, we see this, you know, for we, speaking of, just like Paul had his, the larger bubble, which encompassed the, the saints, but then there was the tiny bubble that had his, the, the next generation of leadership, but we also see a tiny bubble of Peter. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the coming and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter has a firsthand account. And when he says these cunningly devised fables, in the Greek, it translates as cunningly devised sophisms that are fables. You see? These are the methods that are used by the sophists. It's where we get the word sophistication. Sophistication. An example would be the intellectual with his logic. You ever hear someone like this? Where they have a sophistication to what they say. But what they say is a lie. 
These are very, very dangerous people that cause a lot of harm to the body of Christ. It's where you find the servants of Satan. It's where you find the wolves. Very dangerous people. They're the sophists of our time. What do they say? What is it that they teach? Oh, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. And they speak and it sounds so intellectual. It sounds so logical. But when you understand recipe, you know it's poison. A guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You know what the Bible says? You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. That's what the Bible says. One guy says, with the study Bible guy, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's what he says. The Bible says, you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. You see? Sophists. They speak with such sophistication. The sophists, the coalition, they say, oh, God is all done with Israel. The grave soakers, oh, let's go lay on the graves and soak up the spirit. The money preachers, these so-called teachers have a sophistication in what they say. But it's the Bereans that know not to follow the sophists. They can say whatever they want. You see? But that's the pathway to hell. Guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You submit yourself to him and what he teaches. He says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And you take the mark of the beast thinking that you'll be saved. No, the Bible says you do that, you're going to burn in hell. The sophists came to Galatia as well. Remember our study through Galatians? The sophists that came to Galatia and they caused saints to leave Jesus and attempt to be justified by the law, the sophists. Remember Paul in Galatians chapter 2? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, Brother Paul, another vessel, same spirit, same Lord. But Brother Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, from those who seemed to be something, you know, they, they speak with such sophistication they got the degrees on the wall. They got the certificates on the wall. They got the credence, it seems. From those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, Paul says. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. You see? And when you know formula, just like Paul, just like Chloe, just like Timothy, just like Titus, just like Peter, just like Phoebe, just like Lydia. You know who it is safe to submit to. When you know formula, when you know recipe, you know that with Peter, it's safe. With James, it's safe. With Paul, it's safe. With Alexander, no way. With Hymenaeus, no way. You know how many people in the church give credence and accolades to academia, to seminary, and Bible college. And what does Paul say? Yeah, it seems to be something, but it added nothing. Because Paul knows formula. Paul knows recipe. Yeah, they seem to be something. And in Galatia, 
it didn't just it wasn't just that these the, these pseudadelphos, the false brethren who came in as spies, it's not just that they seemed to be something. They seemed to be something so much so that the entire church bought into the things that they were saying, hook, line, and sinker. They bought into it. And Paul says, I marvel that you turn away so soon from Jesus. You see, Paul knew who the sophists were. Paul could identify the wolves. Peter too, with the help from Paul. Because don't forget, our study in Galatians, Peter got sucked into that a little bit. You see, the body caring for the body. And here Peter is telling the remnant, yeah, they're sophists with their cunningly, cunningly devised intellectual teachings, but that ain't us. Don't forget, Peter was illiterate. I'm sure his dialecta wasn't that of the intelligentsia. That ain't us. The sophists can say whatever they want. Alexander, Himenaeus, the sophists, they can say whatever they want. But you know what, saints? Peter says, that ain't us. You see? And speaking of this beautiful, wonderful majesty of Jesus, he continues in verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. See, Peter speaks of the transfiguration, a first-hand account. He was there. He was there. And in verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. You see, the sophists speak, Alexander speaks, Hymenaeus speaks, and Peter speaks, and Paul speaks. And when formula is understood, when recipe is understood, we know who to listen to. You see, and Peter mentions his qualifications and confirmation, he says in verse 19, and so we have, we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed. You do well to heed. Remember, Peter's words have guarantees attached. Says, you do this, you'll never stumble. What pastor say? What pastor has the audacity to say that? If you do the things that I teach you, what pastor do you know can even utter those words? If you do the things that I teach, you will never stumble. Because you see Christians today submitting to their pastors, as the Bible says. And what do you see? A whole lot of stumbling. You see? Did the Bible misguide? No way. Because the Bible teaches about the qualifications for the shepherd. The person submitted to the wrong guy. You see? Peter says, you do these things, you'll never stumble. And not just that. 
the 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 pathway to paradise it's not going to be like a hidden thing it's not going to be where you have to you know like you know wonder like just like the airplane pilot coming down at night with the lights off you know he's not wondering you know i hope i'm not going to land on a neighborhood i hope i'm not going to crash into new york city i hope i'm not going to crash into san francisco i hope i'm not going to crash in the ocean and i hope i'm not going to crash in toronto i hope i'm not going to crash on you know this mountainside no because the pathway it's lit up the runway is lit up. The things that Peter teaches, full package. He says, you do this, you'll never stumble. And not just that. The pathway to paradise, it's fully given. Fully given. Fully, it's, it's so, for so an entrance entry into paradise you see the kingdom of our lord and with peter the prophetic word is confirmed which you do well to heed he says in verse 19 as a light that shines brightly in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts full acknowledgement that yes we're in a dark and dirty place and this morning star in the Greek translates as phosphorus, phosphorus. And I don't want to be violent in explaining this, but then, you know, you get the word phosphorus. What well, is phosphorus? I just say phosphorus like Greek, but it is phosphorus. And not to be violent at all. But not too many people have seen a mountain glow, like an entire mountain. Not too many people have seen a mountain glow from phosphorus. I have, and it's a sight to see the pitch black of night broken by the light of a mountain that brightly glows. And that's what I think of when I read these beautiful words of Peter inspired of the spirit that we're in a dark world. Yes. And heeding Peter's words, we can shine, yes. And that's very beautiful, but it's deeper. In perilous times, just like in 67 AD, the light can rise in our hearts. In verse 20, knowing this first, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Because Isaiah, Isaiah, when Isaiah had prophecies, when Isaiah prophesied, it was for Israel. Isaiah didn't prophesy for Isaiah. Jeremiah didn't prophesy, prophesy for Judah. Or for, Jeremiah didn't prophesy for Jeremiah. No, he prophesied for Judah. Isaiah, he prophesied. Israel. No private interpretation. Jeremiah for Judah. Agabus. Remember Agabus, the book of Acts? Agabus for the church. You have pastors today. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit and the book of Acts, that's for the book of Acts. It's not for today. They're revealing. When, when you hear a pastor say that, they're revealing that you cannot follow them. Because picture a church with no Agabus. You see? 
Very dangerous. A church with no Agabus. Judah with no Jeremiah. Israel with no Isaiah. Very dangerous. And in the Old Testament and New Testament, you see the body caring for the body. Today, the so-called prophets of today, they care for themselves and their wallets. It's Prophet, Prophet Joe caring for Prophet Joe, concerned for his wallet. Prophet Jane concerned about Jane caring for her wallet. You see? But that's not what the Bible says. No prophecy of Scripture is for any private interpretation. Isaiah, it was for Israel. Judah had Jeremiah. The church had Agabus. In verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Never came by the will of man. When prophets speak, in both covenants, when prophets speak, more often they speak of warning than comfort. Isaiah, Isaiah, when he says, your sacrifices are an abomination, that's a seemingly outlandish statement. A seemingly outlandish Isaiah, how dare you say sacrifices are an abomination? It's an, like, what? Who is Isaiah? Look, Moses, Moses says that sacrifice is good. And Isaiah says that sacrifice is an abomination. How dare you say that, Isaiah? How can Isaiah call sacrifices an abomination? I mean, if Moses is right, and Isaiah is right. That leaves one other party to the equation of Adam. Wrong formula, Israel. You see? And they receive warning along with instruction for cleansing. You see? When prophets speak, prophets speak with warning, more often with warning. But the prophets today who are concerned of themselves and their wallet. They like to, oh, I have a prophecy for you. I want to pro the Lord told me this. And it's words of comfort. But when you read the Bible, the prophets of the Bible in both covenants, they speak of warning. The comfort is the aftermath of repentance. But they speak of warning. When Isaiah says, your sacrifices are an abomination. Jeremiah speaks and what do the people say? Jeremiah, get out of here. What does Judah say? Jeremiah, get out of here. You're too doom and gloom, Jeremiah. We have our prophets. We're the elect, Jeremiah. How dare you say such a thing to us, Jeremiah? You know what God says to Jeremiah? Those prophets, they're not mine. You see, safety would have been found in heeding Jeremiah. With Agabus, famine was coming. And with the gift of prophecy given by the Spirit of our Lord, he warned the church about the famine that was coming. And heeding Agabus, the church was safe. Because they were ready. They were prepared. You think Isaiah found joy in saying sacrifices are an abomination? 
Do you think Jeremiah was happy to say the words that he spoke? Was Agabus happy for famine? Real prophecy. Real prophecy of the Lord. It's not for private interpretation, nor is it by the will of man. You see, more often it's the uncomfortable things that the prophet is compelled to say. In obedience to the Lord, they cannot keep quiet. You see? Turn really quick to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 47, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the leaders and the scribes and the legal experts according to the law, the experts of the law. And Jesus is speaking to them about God's vessels. And he says in verse 47, Luke 11, he says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them that's that's heavy woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them you look at the lutheran church today the lutheran church today in the episcopals they read verses about love from first corinthians 13 very beautiful verses from first corinthians 13 very very beautiful verses about love and these churches they read these verses but they will not tolerate the vessel paul you see it's just like what jesus is saying here you build tombs of the prophets. But your fathers killed them. Just like to the Lutherans in the Episcopals, you read these verses about love. But you kill the Pauls. You will not tolerate the Pauls. The James you will not tolerate. The Peter you will not tolerate. And still in Luke 11, in verse 48, Jesus says, In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, the prophets, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which were shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. That's heavy. Remember the blood of Abel cried out to the Lord. And he doesn't forget. He has an accounting. The blood of Abel. The blood of Amos. The blood of Stephen. The blood of Paul. The blood of Peter. The Lord has an accounting. 
vessels of the Lord in both testaments, in both covenants, and still today, vessels of the Lord are only tolerated by the righteous. Vessels of the Lord are only tolerated by the righteous. Remember Joshua and Caleb? The people wanted to stone them to death. You see? Because vessels of the Lord are only tolerated by the righteous. When there's relatives, something that seems to be safe, it seems to be a safe time. A craftsman might say, oh, it's just crazy Paul. He's just running his jibs. He's just saying what he has to say. Oh, it's just Paul. He's crazy. That's what the craftsman would say. But in times of peril, in times of tribulation, the craftsman doesn't say that anymore. The craftsman says, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Kill Paul. It's not just crazy Paul running his jibs. That's when things are relatively safe. But when tribulation comes, the craftsmen turn. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. The Christians, Paul, kill them. Nothing new under the sun. It happened with the prophets. You see, vessels of the Lord are only tolerated by the righteous. And yet godly vessels are compelled to speak. Being quiet for them is disobedience. Man, it's never by the will of man. Never by the will of man. Go, let's go back to 2 Peter now. 2 Peter chapter 1 in closing. In verse 21, for prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You see? It's of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord. And these are things, when you understand formula, and when you understand recipe, it's so powerful. So, so, so beautiful. So powerful. Wonderful. Righteous. And for so an entrance, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, remnant of the last days, God bless you. I love you.